I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. Paul Cadillac of Nebraska Brewing Company is my guest today, and he's coming up in a moment. But first, I'm going to ask you to check out BeerEdge.com for articles, to subscribe to our newsletter, and more. And we're also on social media, at The Beer Edge. And if you like the show, please consider leaving a review on your platform of choice. Also, check out the Smoky Conversation on the This Week in Roush Beer Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at TWRoushBeer. This episode is brought to you through support from NZ Hops. In a little country far down the Pacific, you'll find a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. This is NZ Hops. The industry originated in 1843, not long after the early settlers arrived from England. Years of partnership with a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through generations sees the current-day master growers proudly providing 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd. This episode is also sponsored by Athletic Brewing. At Athletic Brewing Company, their innovative process allows them to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to gold nails and more, they offer a full selection of beers starting at only 50 calories. Now you can keep your head clear and enjoy the refreshing taste of beer anytime, anywhere. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. So we're almost there. We're almost to the point where we can be back out in the world, drink with people we like in person, visit tap rooms, and just reconnect after a long year under the pandemic. Vaccines are rolling out, and I hope you're on the list to get one or already full of the scientific marvel. This is one of those shows that I wanted to do in person. I've known Paul Cadillac for most of the time that I've been covering the beer industry, and that's a long time. He and his wife, Kim, co-founded Nebraska Brewing Company 14 years ago, and I've been at their breweries, seen them at festivals and events, and shared pints in cities across the country. And any time we're together is a good one. So I was hoping to do this in person, but it was still going to be just a while. So when I had the chance, I jumped on the phone to talk with him. And this conversation was actually spurred on by an email that I got earlier this week, and I'll touch on that during the show. The brewery makes award-winning barrel-aged beers, along with a core lineup that is really solid and a lot of fun to drink. And they're also now looking towards the future of beverage. There's a lot to cover, and we're going to get into it all. But being that it's March and we're a year into COVID, I started off by asking Paul how it's been going during the pandemic. He spoke to me, obviously, from Nebraska. Here's our conversation. You know, everybody has their own story of survival, but it... it uh... When COVID began to peek over the horizon, it was kind of one of those things. I, I knew um, the likelihood of shutting down the tap room was was real. So, <clears throat> to the extent that you can prepare for it, we we saw it coming. Um, what we also stared in the face was the prospect of when all the retail establishments shut down, our draft beer would essentially fall. Yeah. Um, what was a little bit further than I expected was it fell to essentially zero uh, outside of the keg and draft stuff that, um, you know, we had on hand and, and would trickle out to markets that weren't fully shut down yet. But that was a, a slamming of the door. And then uh, 
the the package sales continued and then, and then we ran headlong into the 12 ounce can shortage so it, it's it's one of those i think every year brings with it um different things that you have to deal with and, and scramble for uh, the past year has seen more of those obviously than normal and i i think one of the biggest things that um it's maybe it's a mental thing but when you lose contact with all of the people in the industry that, you know, seeing a face or sharing a beer is pretty important. And at first, you know, it was, it was expected. No one was moving around. And then before you knew it, it seemed like the year had become five yeah. and, you know, you wonder where the rest of the industry went, where you fit. And, you know, as I mentioned before, it was kind of lather, rinse, repeat. And, you're just wondering if you're ever going to, you know, see the other end of this thing. And I think we are now. What what does that mean where you fit in the industry? Like versus, you know, if we go back 2 years of March of 19, where did you think you fit and then what happened in the course of, you know, 2 years? That's such an interesting concept to me of, you know, you saying where you fit. And well, I wonder, yeah. Yeah, I I think uh, you know, March of 19 and maybe even before that you know, we, we were well-known, um, you know, we had international sales too, that would, would get a hold of us, uh, primarily for the barrel aged beers and the stuff that we excelled at. And, you know, there's, there's a pile of metals that we, we have not because we sought the, the metal itself, but because it was external validation. You know, you, you make a beer and of course every brewer thinks that their beer is the best beer on the planet. <laughs> But, but when you send these out to the competition and, and it's blind, you know, to, to come away with a medal, uh, you know, all the way up through the international awards and GABF, I think it, it kind of solidifies what you'd hoped um, you were setting out to accomplish. And that was, you know, to be one of the best brewers in that space. And with COVID, you know, people couldn't get out as much. And it's interesting. I, I listened to, uh, podcast from the BA yesterday with their uh, economist who said that COVID probably affected uh, or affected the lower incomes um, in a, in a worse way than the, the higher income people. And yeah. so what, what I felt was the barrel aged beer slowed down um, the sales of it at least. And when I say you wonder where you fit, you wonder is the barrel aged beer slowing down because of COVID or because, you know, there are other people out there trying just as hard as you to make barrel aged beer and that's what's selling. So it, I think every brewer, if, if they don't have uh, an insane voice in their head, casting self, self doubt every day, I, I think, you know, they're probably <laughs> doing themselves a disservice, but you know, the lack of interaction, again, I go back to it with the industry, you know, it makes you wonder every day, you know, are we still, are we still doing the right things? Are we still excelling? So we still continue to enter competitions and, you know, and still come away with medals. So I think that helps, but it also gives you this sense of mental drift. There's a lot that I want to unpack in, uh, in all of that, but you were an early adopter of barrel aging, at least for, for your generation of brewers. And you're coming up on you know, 14, 15 years now. Um, but you know, you have, you know, longer teeth than 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 most uh, the most uh, in in you know the modern era of, uh, of of craft, and you adopted barrels pretty early. It it struck me as I was pre COVID walking into breweries, everybody 
even if they'd been open for three days, was really eager to show me their, you know, and I'm doing air quotes here, barrel program. And sometimes it would be two or three barrels in a corner and, you know, they didn't really know what they were doing or what was in it, but, you know, but they had a barrel program. And it's sort of something that's been, you know, come to be expected by most customers of some sort of barrel age offering, be it a, for an anniversary or, or, or whatever. Um, what's that competition been like for you with the, you know, as new, as new generations of brewers open up, um, especially in your state where there's, there's been some, some pretty strong growth. Um, how, how has that impacted your barrel program? Well, I think, you know, you kind of run the gamut there of, of, that how was a lot. Industry, I just threw a lot at you. Yeah. No, I mean, it, how the industry kind of evolved. And, and you're right. When we started barrel aging, um, you know, here's that thing again. We were circulating uh, in the brewing universe. And, you know, you get out to Falling Rock and you meet uh, Sam and Vinny um, and their barrel aging programs really sparked a lot of interest. So we've always said and somebody will knock my knock me off the soapbox someday. But we always said we were the first brewery. Uh, that we're aware of in the industry that was using wine barrels for the sake of wine. And that was because I, I had a heavy um, interest in wine before I went into brewing. And, you know, we stumbled into this Belgian golden strong and I thought, man, that'd be great uh, for a shard barrel. And, and there it was, you know, it started to take off. And for us, it, it was less um, an endeavor in, in stature or trying to say, Hey, we're here. We've got a barrel aging program. We did it for the sake of the beer. And I think when um, when barrel aged beers roach rose to the prominence and the level that they were at, you know, you, it was tough to find um, a barrel aged beer out there that didn't really have some wow factor. Like, geez, this is really elevated beyond the stuff we can buy normally, and and um, that created an aura around those. And I, I think for the brewers that you know that start out and they want to have a best brewery on the block and they want to knock off the big guy, I think it's it's good, you know, to get in the game. I, I think uh, as most brewers, at least this brewer would tell you, you know, don't, don't release a beer if it's not what you consider the best that you can do. And I, I think, I think there are people out there that are, are barrel aging and, and uh, because it's now ubiquitous um, it tends to, you know, take that aura down a notch when it's just an average beer and the consumers you know, who are out roaming around, which is great. They're finally starting to get back out again. You know, they, they might enter a brewery and say, no, nah, it's okay. I don't, I don't like that barrel aged stuff because, you know, they, they encountered a brewery that didn't have great barrel aged stuff. Yeah. So it, I don't know that the competition has hurt at all. Um, I, I guess if you do your research and you know, which breweries can make some good barrel aged beers, you go to those and try them all. I mean, that's, that's what we all want you to do. Try them all. And uh, don't come away thinking, you know, all barrel aged beers are great or, you know, all barrel barrel aged beers are mediocre. Just uh, try them, try yeah. and give them a shot and, and we'll continue to make them as good as we think we can. You've mentioned, I mean, you got us on this barrel age uh, beer kit because I, I know it's something that you're passionate about. But when I visited a couple of years ago and I was sitting in, in both the pub that you had at that point and in the, in the tap room, I, I was really struck by, and, and I had to go back through my notes to, to see how I actually qualified it, but um, I, I wrote down that your core beers, your everyday beers, have this sort of Midwest sensibility to them. They're, they're not trying to be flashy. They're not trying to be over the top. They're just good drinking beers. Um, 
true to style or, you know, maybe they have a their, their own little flair to them. Um, but as much as the barrel age program is, is, is a passion for you and is, has racked up medals and awards and everything, um, it's those core beers that keep the lights on, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the barrel age stuff I'm fond of because, you know, you, you have a heavy hand in nurturing uh, the evolution of that, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, call it a vertical or a suite of brands off to the side. And then Tyson, by the way, was also heavy handed in that. But the core beers, I mean, that's what started the company. I, I remember, I can see it in my mind's eye right now. I remember the moment, uh, homebrewing, after weeks of disgust with not getting what would become Cardinal to have the right nose, um, I I literally gave up. I, I can see it now. I, I gave up on the whole hobby, and I had a fermenter with a, a large lid on top, pulled the lid aside, and dumped every ounce of hops, leaf hops that I had left in that fermenter, and I... I nearly kicked it over and just let it flood my basement. And, um, but I, I threw the lid, yeah, I threw the lid back on it and it just, um, two weeks later I came back and I said, okay, it's time to clean up the mess. And I pulled that lid off to start scrubbing. And I went, Oh man, that, uh, that's got something good going on. So I finished it and, uh, yeah, I had a little homebrew filter set up and, uh, my wife was down there and I said, Hey, you got to try this. I'll bet we can sell this. And, you know, that became Cardinal Pale Ale and, and you know, Core Beers, the, the German Hefeweizen that was a homebrew uh, back then. And, um, you know, that's where that's where it started for us. Core Beers, well-made, uh, take it home. You know, Cardinal is going to taste like Cardinal yeah. was two years ago. And sure, we experiment. We, we play around the fringes. And I, I have to chuckle because Tyson will, will love hearing this. We've attempted to make a hazy IPA now twice. And it has all the characteristics that an IPA or hazy should have, except we fail at making it hazy. And it, it settles out and, and, you know, we're not really going to dump flour in it or anything weird like that. But uh, it's one of our biggest sellers right now. And it's, uh, we call it just a hazy like IPA. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not doing that. to. If you, you, if know, you close your eyes, uh, you can imagine the haze. Yeah. Yeah, there you are. It's a great hazy IPA. <laughs> So, it's yeah, great for drinking in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Core is what keeps the lights on. But so Tyson Arp is your, he's your head brewer. Uh, we should, we should mention. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. And, but when you first opened and, and it's, I know it, I, I've beat this drum probably too much on the show, but I, I, I still find it fascinating that 14 years ago, Selling something like a Hefeweizen, uh, selling something like a Pale Ale or even a Nut Brown was going to be a tough road in Nebraska, you know, and pretty much anywhere in the U.S. I mean, and and let's be honest, like craft is still not, you know, a, a, a huge section of the beer industry uh, or overall beer, beer sales. But in places where, quote unquote, fancy beer or beer that was not an American light lager um that that was just a tough sell. So how how did you approach it in those early days? What was the pub a necessary part of that of bringing people in with good food and then slipping them their your beer at the side? Yeah, I think you, you kind of hit it. You know, we the, the pub for us was um, a gateway to to get people exposed to those beers. We we couldn't call Eos Hefeweizen a Hefeweizen back then because people, you know, in spite of our efforts to educate people, we had to call it wheat. And then, you know, we collided with Boulevard's American weed and, you know, then it further confused things. So ultimately we, we straightened that out after we went through the education phase. 
And you're absolutely right relative to um, these beer styles. We were number, I want to say we were the five brewery in existence, number five uh, in Nebraska when we emerged. Now, we weren't the fifth. There were other breweries that, you know, came and went before us. But we were the first fifth operating brewery when we emerged. And we did it in a part of town uh, southwest of Omaha that really was under service. There was no brewery out in that area. So when, you know, we, we get to the people that were experiencing these beers and, and I've had, gosh, there's a list of stories here. The one was our, our wit beer. And uh, every once in a while, you know, we'd have them fill out um, reviews, just a paper review. Hey, what'd you think of the beers? And the one I got, and I, I still laugh at today was this lady was very put off by the beers. And she said that our beer was too beery. And there, there was this re- recurring um, comment that would come up how the wit beer uh, tasted and smelled like hot dog water. And Oof. for the life of me, when the first one came up, I thought, well, you just don't understand craft beer. And when it, you know, <laughs> yeah. when it hit two, three, or maybe even five, I, I said, there's got to be some science behind this. And I finally sat down with one of these people and we started to talk about the beer and the same same beers, a couple different pours, but, you know, the hot dog water thing was still there. And I said, well, here's the ingredients. And, you know, I said, there's some uh, cilantro in there. And she said, oh, I hate cilantro. And so then, you know, we, we started to go off on the side. And, and sure enough, these people that have an extreme aversion to cilantro would pick up this hot dog aspect, which, um, it, yeah, it was amusing, you know, because there's nothing you can do with that. But, you know, to, to further the dialogue here, I remember selling in a town. Uh, it, it's essentially our, our hometown now outside of Omaha, Louisville, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And, and I would take samples out there and the bartender, really nice lady. And she was trying to get the owner's attention. And I'm sitting at the end of the bar and, and she yells, Hey, that guy with the weird beers back. <laughs> and I, the whole bar turned and looked and, you know, then I handed out samples and ultimately uh, that gentleman, uh, Corey and good times of Louisville, they, they had every, every draft handle that they had uh, for a while was ours. And, you know, we, we frequented a lot and that changed a tremendous number of minds, uh, you know, cause it's, it's a bush light world in Nebraska. And bush if you're, light. you're wow. All right. Yeah. If you're able to connect outside of that universe, you've done a good thing. When did you start to realize that running a pub, like a restaurant was not going to be in the long-term cards for the future of your brewery. Man, I don't know if I want to eat up too much of your time here. But at least, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, what, it's like a 50 minute show. So just, yeah. we still got a little bit more to cover, but yeah. Well, when we first emerged <laughs> uh, in, in 2007, I always joke and say that we, we started uh, Nebraska Brewing Company on the day the great recession started. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, for a year, you got that honeymoon window and everything was going decent and the world around us was in flames. And then, you know, revenue started to go in the other direction as well. So you wondered, one, is it the world around us that's being affected? Or two, is it us? You know, are we somehow failing to connect and, and bring people back? And through the Great Recession, we began to see, you know, the, the major chain stores that occupied that mall space one by one started to vacate and go away. And you know, this occurred over a period of time. It wasn't just like it was year two, but when those big box stores and the reasons for people to visit that mall began to go away, you know, we shifted 
um, from being what I would call a secondary location. You know, you're going to buy consumer electronics, uh, housewares, and oh, by the way, we're in the mall. Let's go over here and have a hamburger and a beer and, and sit down and rest a while. So we moved from a secondary position almost into a primary where, you know, the reason to go to the mall is to visit a Nebraska brewing company or restaurant X, Y, or Z. And that just continued to happen and, and with no replacements, you know, to those um, storefronts. They, they just, uh, they vacated, went dark. And I don't know, 24 months, I should have acted on, you know, my thoughts, but you always kind of hope for what's around the corner and, and the mall uh, changed hands, sold off. And, you know, their hopes were to revitalize it, bring in new, new uh, occupants. And it really didn't happen. So ultimately, you know, you just had to look at things and go, this isn't, uh, this isn't going to play out long-term. We're struggling too much, you know, to, to keep uh, the lights burning. Uh, when I say that, everything's a struggle. And believe me, there's nobody in the industry that works harder, you know, than the team we've got assembled. But yeah. y- you wondered if you were somewhere else with that level of effort, would it be more fruitful? And ultimately, that's what caused us to, to say no more on that location. Do you miss it? I, you know, there are there are days when, um, you know, I think back then everything was formative for us. We, we had never, you know, done, um, one, two or three different things. And, you know, you're plodding along the way, bumping your head against the wall. We still do that, of course, but that was, that was really the childhood for Nebraska Brewing Company. And in our formative years, that's where, you know, we met all of these great regulars. Um, the industry being much smaller tend to have, um, you know, industry stalwarts show up out of the blue and, you know, you got, uh, Avery sitting at the end of the bar and, you know, he's just moving through town and, uh, Jamil Zanishev would pay a visit. And, you know, that was cool. Cause it, it was, uh, it was being, you know, kind of that birth moment and, and you moved on and, but, you know, I don't miss the two, 3 AM wake up calls for a door that was left open and the, the alarm is going off and, you know, there's still a lot of people out there that deal with that, but I, yeah. I don't miss that, that aspect because sleep is rare in, in the first place. And, you know, those types of things contribute to it. More with Paul in a moment, but first a word of thanks to this episode's sponsors, and I hope you'll give them a closer look. At Athletic Brewing Company, their innovative process allows them to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. And we're brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ Hops are like no other, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. And now, back to my conversation with Paul Kavalak of Nebraska Brewing Company. So if that was your childhood, uh, or the brewery's childhood, it, it's it's sort of a fun segue. I, I think I'm, I might just shoehorn this in. Um, your brewery, the your, your and your wife's brewery, has really become a full-fledged family business. You have your kids involved now. You have cousins involved. Um, when you first opened up, did did you want your kids involved in the brewery? Did this happen organically? Um, I know that there's a lot of folks who have second generations sort of, you know, coming up and some of them, some brewery owners hope like, yeah, you know, I hope the kids take over one day or, you know, I'm building this for them or, you know, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. What, what was your 
in Kim's approach early on uh, with your kids when, when you started the brewery? It's funny, Connor um, and, and Dylan and Connor, and they've always been around it, Riley as well. I've got pictures of Connor stirring homebrew mash in his diapers and, you know, Dylan's playing. That's, that's not him. sanitary, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I, there's some beers. Out there. I mean, I you're talking know. about quality control earlier. This is yeah. uh yeah. But when we, when we started this thing, it was always our goal, you know, to, to have uh, the kids and, and the extended family be around uh, to some extent. And, you know, that's, that's up to them to decide where they want to sit. And if there's a place, great, we'll, we'll try them out. And, and we also, are, are very aware that Kim and I had day jobs and professional careers before we did this. And, you know, to some extent it would have been good to have them get out into a universe that isn't run by family and see what it's like and then come back. But, um, you know, they, they worked as soon as they could. And, you know, the child labor laws in Nebraska anyway, or um, you can employ your own kids pretty much at any age. I'm sure I got that wrong, but they, yeah, that, they were, that sounds like, that sounds like farmland, uh, rules you know if you're if you're old enough to steer the tractor then yeah yep so they they found their way into the into different jobs early on and and uh you know riley my daughter she's working at a bank now and still works part-time but connor connor as a matter of fact is headed down to uh kansas city right now he's in sales and marketing with my niece sarah they're going to do sales down there for two days dylan is uh working the canning line today runs operations and kim kim's kind of the the gm that you know I'll screw things up for the world and then she'll sweep it all back up into a pile, put a bow on it. and We'll move on. You, you mentioned giving them a try, you know, if they, if they say, okay, I want to, I want to give this a go and you, and you give them a try. And I think that's a great thing for, for parents to do. Um, have you had the conversation in your mind of like, okay, like we're going to try this. And if it doesn't work out, you know, I'm going to have to treat the kid like an employee versus, you know, my kid and have tough lessons or is is it different having a you know a child you know, your progeny working for you well you know that's one of the things i i noticed early on i came out of a an it universe where um, i was heavy handed you know things things had to be done the way they needed to be done or or you know things suffered either the business the you know the client or the the employee and and i was very quick to act the difference being now that the, the need to act is still there, but it's more of a coaching okay. um, philosophy. And, you know, there are still those moments where, you know, maybe I let this one go too far. And by the time I got to, you know, set the hook and reel them in, it's a little painful, um, but it still happens. And I think th- the best thing that they all understand right now is that at the end of the day, it's a business. It, in spite of the fact, you know, how you're related to anybody else that works there, uh, jobs got to get done and they got to get done well. Yeah. And even though it's Nebraska Brewing Company, the family name might as well be on the front door. Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. Yeah, that was, that's a, I, I told that story too. We weren't supposed to be Nebraska Brewing Company. We, uh, we developed some artwork in, as a Flatland Brewing Company and we collided with a, a brew pub. I want to say Ohio. I probably got that wrong, but this is before we emerged, but I, I had put a large amount of money in development of, you know, our corporate logo and some of our brands. And they all said uh, Flatland. So in, instead of bringing lawyers into the mix, uh, myself and the other gentleman just had a phone call and he just asked me, he says, what would you do if you were in a situation? And he, he wanted to protect his, his brand. And I said, I would tell me to find another name. And 
Kim and I agonized and ultimately came up with a plan um, to preserve the artwork by coming up with a different business name that would replace Flatland letter for letter. And Nebraska was, you know, the one that emerged and we didn't have to go through the expense of modifying artwork. I'm seeing a Flatland Brewing Company in California. Yeah. Now there's there's an interesting aspect of the story that that original guy they they went under they folded clothes for whatever reason uh and then that name sat vacant for quite some time and now i see uh the other guy and by the way i, I like them on facebook because i i'm amused by the fact that they someone else has popped up with that name and and uh, i wish them well but yeah that was a, <laughs> that was a collision in our past yikes um well i'm sorry to dredge up all of this painful past for you um <laughs> But I mean, but that's sort of it, right? I mean, you have to roll with it. And these days, I mean, I talk to brewers all the time who are just trying to even just name beers, which is, you know, difficult. But, you know, for something when you have a name in your head for a brewing company uh, or for, you know, for, for your company, that can be a really tough thing, you know, to change your mind. Right. Oh, absolutely. It was. It, I I'm sitting at the desk that I sat in when I had to agonize over that situation. And, you know, your business plan is it's embedded in there. You've thought about this for years and, you know, Hey, before you start, let's just change it all. Yeah. That's, that's really tough. It's impossible to know what, you know, happened in the other timeline uh, of, you know, that if you did get flatland brewing company, Um, do you think having the Nebraska state name attached to your brewery though, was a was ultimately a benefit for sales and for recognition. I I think so. And when we when we chose the name, the first thing I thought was, man, we're we're arrogant as hell by cha- you know taking the state's <laughs> names. And and there were two Nebraska brewing companies that existed before us, eighteen ninety seven to ninety eight, and nineteen ninety four to ninety six. And we thought, okay, they they've come and gone. Let's let's make sure that we don't go down the same path. And it's funny because. Nebraska and Iowa have such a rivalry uh, in sports and everything else. So we can't sell a beer in Iowa, but we can sell a beer in China, Japan, everywhere else. And, you know, it, it just depends on where you're from and how you view that name. We, we view it as making, you know, some of the best beers out there and, and uh, synonymous with quality. I mean, it, it, let's back up a little bit. You, are you actually saying that if you try, do you sell beer in Iowa at all? We used to, and uh, you know the reps. The reps were met with you know some pushback, not not because of the beer, but because of the name, and it's entrenched. And I, mean, I, I can't you're say on that. the border essentially. Oh yeah, I, you can. Well, if you got a strong arm, you can throw a baseball into Council Bluffs, and you know we could probably sell beer in Council Bluffs. But of course, do we want to just sell beer in a neighboring city, or do we want to you know sell beer in the other side of Iowa out in Davenport? The answer is the latter. Um, so it, it's not that that's the end of the world, but it's, it's been a, an eyebrow raising, you know, aspect of, of trying to move beer over there. And it just, it just won't sell. Well, it hasn't sold to the point where we said, you know what, let's, let's roll back a bit. We'll, we'll take a pause and see what we want to do later over there. Wow. I, I had, I hadn't really thought about state rivalry like that before, but that is, that's some, that's some next level state pride and that's coming from a guy who lives in New Jersey. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And you know, your experience may differ. <laughs> yeah. But that's, I mean, that, that, that's kind of fun. Um, I want to switch gears with you. I got an email, 
uh, the other day from a guy named uh, Brendan Orr. Uh, who said that uh, if he was at your brewery working uh, the last time that I visited and we didn't get a pint because uh, he was in the back working and we were in the front having a having a good time. And um, uh, he listens to the podcast and he mentioned that he, he had left Nebraska uh, and was about to open up a brewery in Wisconsin uh, or hoping to brew, open up a brewery in Wisconsin. And one of the benefits, I think, of your longevity now of you know almost 15 years is you've been able to create sort of a farm team you know or you know have you know people who learn under you and then sort of go out and open up their own place and there's some breweries that really chafe at that you know they say well if you're working here you know you work for us and we don't want you thinking about something else um what's been your approach for people who are chasing that brewing dream, chasing that entrepreneurial spirit, um, the very same things that brought you to beer. You, you've seen brewers come and go and go and launch their own thing um, o- o- over the years. What's that like for you as the owner? You know, as the um, fledgling or, or the, you know, the person with the, the ideas of, of making their own brewery and coming from within Nebraska Brewing Company, at a high level, I'm extremely proud, frankly, that we uh, have developed that farm team. Um, and those guys, you know, I'm trying to think if I've actually, you know, tossed anybody out. Yeah, well, we, one parted ways because we were not seeing eye to eye relative to quality. But, you know, I really uh, enjoy the fact that when you look down the street, you know, uh, Sam down in Lincoln with Cosmic Eye. And, yep. you know, here's, here's, here's a brewer that did it right. You know, just like Brandon seems to be doing it. You know, they, they approached it from the perspective of, I, I want to learn. I want to be around this. I want to, I want to know the nuances. I want to, you know, create a quality product. And frankly, to have goals, you always want to be better, you know, than, than whatever it was you're familiar with. And, um, geez, we, we've got, I don't know, three, three or five that I could probably come up with right now that, you know, essentially they either, um, created their own brewery or, you know, worked at other breweries and I'm, I feel great that they, they carried it with them. Now I, I also have had, uh, you know, brewers that had the dream and began to, to go about it in a way that was, I wouldn't call it divisive, but not necessarily in the interests uh, of the business they worked for, you know, that they openly trying to recruit and, you know, those Yikes. things, yeah, well, those can be harmful, you know, yeah. to the parent, the parent brewery. And uh, in spite of that, you know, they've moved on and they make excellent, um, beers that, that are, you know, something we can all be proud of. But that sort of speaks to, you know, you, you reap what you sow. If, if, if you sort of had that, that divisiveness early on or underhanded tactics, um, you can almost expect that to happen to you later on, or at least you should expect, or not be surprised if it happens to you later on. Yeah. You know, people are people and some understand that, you know, let's go about this and be a team independent of whether or not, you know, it's the team of the brewery you're working with or for, but when you emerge and you, and you hit the streets and put on your own storefront, you're still part of that team. And it, it's good to be able to get out there and say, I, I did it right, you know, and, and look back on it and smile. Yeah. I mean, there's been breweries in the past that have had direct impacts on 
the greater beer industry. And I think of Josh Noel's book uh, about Goose Island in those early days and all of the brewers yeah. that that one brewery spawned. And so much of the creativity that was allowed and so much of the focus on quality and you know the sales focus and everything else, I, I, I think, grew the beer industry as people went out into their own in, in, into their own places. And it, it does strike me that anybody who is open these days should approach it the same way of, you know, it's not just going to be what happens within our four walls or coming out of our branded tap handles. It's going to be the impact that we have when people leave us and go do their own thing. Right. And I mean, look at the landscape now. I, I lost track. It's funny because I made this comment recently too. When we first started, there were probably well, there were 1,400 breweries the day we opened. That fell, <laughs> that fell to, that fell to 1,200 during the Great Recession. Yeah, and you know, by today's comparison, there's you know over 9,000, I think. And back is that then, the number I, that we're at right now? I've still been well, saying 8,200. Yeah, yeah. Last I tracked, we were in the uh, mid. I thought it was high 8,000s, but you know, back then I could I could probably name literally. Um, 75% of the breweries in existence and, and a good portion of their portfolio. And and now you're like, oh, there's a brewery, you know, two miles away. Who are they? You know, that kind of thing. Not only are you a brewer, but you're also a beer fan. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, you know, I'm because of COVID, we just didn't circulate a whole lot. I, I've got my two shots behind me, so I'll be moving around soon. But, um, you know, I have styles that appeal to me and, and I have styles that don't. And I think my general rule is, like I mentioned earlier, try them all. And, you know, that's how I stumbled into some of this stuff. You know, Tyson came up with the Black Betty uh, core recipe and we stumbled into a sampling at Falling Rock uh, that, that had a, a distillery that I think we still can't name, but a fantastic distillery. Uh, and I had is a, it local? Uh, it, it was local out there. Yeah, they've been bought by some. Um, okay hire us but yeah the beer that emerged from that barrel consult you know, your google these, yeah yeah had these notes of uh vanillin or vanilla and i thought holy cow and you know that wasn't really something that i would have said that's my go-to style but you try it and you discover you know aspects that you want to bring home and incorporate into other things and before you know it you're, you're doing you know different things and that's another comment i want to make is you know we've got brewers on board besides tyson there's julie and tony and um it used to be back in the day, it, it was, you know, Paul would say, look, we want to play in this space. And now they're, they're bringing, you know, their experiences to me and, and we let them, you know, brew on the pilot system. And it's so good to have that much creativity and, and, you know, to, to function as a, a creative mind uh, versus just, you know, one or two guys trying to come up with stuff. I've been thinking a lot about creativity because I've over the course of the last year with the pandemic, I've been talking with folks who it either seems to be falling one of two ways. Uh, the pandemic has allowed them to make styles of beer that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to in the past. Um, and we've seen an influx of loggers where people just have spare tanks that they can let sit for six, eight, ten weeks um, where they didn't in the past. Or uh, the lack of camaraderie, the lack of being out in the world, the lack of just or the worry of keeping the lights on has stifled creativity. Um, what's it been like for you all? You know, there, we, we, yeah. Well, we'll still, you know, in the background, we're always experimenting. We're always, you know, trying to push our own envelope. But you kind of touch back on that piece that just COVID is horrible. Um, 
but you know there are annoying aspects that just eat away at you and and the one is you know that lack of experience so that you've got those ideas to bring back and tweak and and be as innovative as you want to be and um it's it's been annoying painful and i am so you know grateful that we're we seem to be you know knock on wood getting on the back end of this and um you know we'll get right back at it and and start pushing again you've entered into seltzers along with uh so many other folks right now and obviously it's a it's a growth area i mean it's just it's it's unprecedented growth and when you look at the IRI numbers and the Nielsen numbers, it's just it's just bananas. So I can understand why people um, are getting into it. I've 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 had a, I've I've struggled with it because I enjoy drinking some of them, but I try to find the creativity in them. You know, much like I do with beer, um, you know, IPAs or barrel aged stouts or, or whatever, and I keep coming up empty. Um, and I think that's just because it's a relatively simple product with you know straightforward tastes. Are are you trying to be creative with your with your seltzers or is it, you know, just give the people what they want? You know, to me, it's an evolution. And, and the first step in that evolution is getting getting the seltzers properly and well made. And, and I, I Facebooked uh, what appeared to be a glass of water months ago. <laughs> and, you know, I said, it's funny that so much time and effort goes into getting this right. And that was the first seltzer that I felt we had done properly, you know, cause you can, you can really come out with a seltzer that's not awesome. You know, they're, they're off colored, their uh, aromas are off putting. So our goals, the initial goals were make it right, make it something we all enjoy, get it into the hands of the distributors, prove that, you know, we've got a seltzer that, that works, get the branding around it. It's such a, you know, big process. And what struck me though, and, and, um, it was an odd comment. You know, one of our distributors, uh, we said, well, you know, here we are, we, we've got these seltzers, we want to push them. And he says, man, this, this should have been part of your annual business plan. So we'll, well, it was. And then he says, well, you know, we're just getting, we're getting so many seltzers from all these people that are coming in the front door and we're not sure we can manage them all. I said, I can appreciate that, but there are fewer seltzers than there are beers. Yeah. And, you know, let's, uh, let's work together to find out how to, you know, get these on the shelf and make it a facet, a product facet that we can, we can move. Yeah. But to your point, get it done right first. And now we're experimenting with, you know, the combinations of flavors and the things, you know, first, what do we enjoy? And then, you know, after we get what we enjoy down first, you know, does it connect with the public and the consumers? And if not, you know, how do we tweak it? And we just go through those iterations. You haven't had too much of a experience in the tap room yet of putting it on offer where you make it, where, where you are, but, um, have you been theorizing as to what it might actually do in the tap room? Actually, we, we did have, uh, one tap is on right now. And it's funny because when people encounter seltzer on draft, they're, they're kind of taken aback, but the grapefruit, uh, was the first one that we got out there just to say, okay, guys, do, do we have this right? Uh, and it caught fire and, you know, it said, okay, you're on the, you're on the right path. Let's keep going. So then we put another tap up there and I think it was the pineapple, and, you know, like any really powerful flavor, once you use a line, it's that line forever unless yeah. you replace the uh, the tubing. But, you know, when we started the tap room, it was 24 lines. We jumped to 32 during COVID. We're about ready to bump up to 40. And that's, you know, 40 tap handles for a, a, a tap room. is yeah. It's pretty big. 
yeah. which creates its own scenario relative to management. But now we're putting on, you know, our, our, I love hearing this, uh, the podcast that you did with Chris Black and the others on they're rating their seller, right? Yeah. There's, they're saying this stuff's aging and it's not finding it's, it's public. <clears throat> so we did the same thing. We went into our seller and, you know, went back and these, you know, gold medal winning Melange Toise and um, all oh, this nice. cool stuff is, yeah. is now back on tap you know, while the others, you know, make their way through the barrel program again. So it's pretty cool. You can, you can get a lot of tap right now. See, that's, that's the, you know, that this is the cruel part of the show where I can't get on a plane and come down and, you know, <laughs> drink your beer on tap. Right. Um, but two shots in the arm and, 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 and we'll do it soon. Um, and glad to hear that you're vaccinated and, uh, and, and getting ready to get out there. I hope to, Hope to see you out in the world again uh, soon. It's been, I feel like it's been too long. Uh, yes, it, it has. We, we uh, as of Sunday, uh, yesterday, two days ago, our entire team, uh, they had a push here in, in uh, Sarpy County to get uh, vaccinations out there. And our entire team uh, that wasn't previously vaccinated got in line and got their first shots. So we're in good shape. That's awesome. Paul, thanks for, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sitting down and sharing some stories and, given some insight it's it's always a pleasure talking with you and i i appreciate you giving me the time today well of course john thank you i i uh you know, i'm sure a lot of your listeners have known you for a long time and as have i and i'm proud to be a part of the show man you you and i go back a long time we do there, there's a lot of bloggers out there a lot of writers and and uh i gotta say you're the one i look to oh well, well, thanks. I can probably point you in the direction of some better ones, but uh, but I, I appreciate it nonetheless. So uh, thanks again. All right, John. Take care. My thanks to Paul for being on the show. And so long as you don't live in Iowa, you should grab their beers where they're available or head to the tap room and drink from that cellar. He's got shots in the arm and hopefully you do as well. Are you planning travel? Are you back visiting breweries? Tell me about it. I'm at John Hall, it's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And if you encounter smoked beers in the world, join the This Week in Roush Beer conversation by getting into the group on Facebook or following T.W. Roush Beer on Instagram and Twitter. Beer Edge is on social media as well, at The Beer Edge, and we're also online at BeerEdge.com. There you can find episodes of this show and the podcast hosted by Andy Crouch. You can find articles, you can sign up for the newsletter, and more. And if you want to learn about advertising on this show, you can reach out to Liz Melby. She's on email at liz at beeredge.com, and she'll tell you all about our very affordable rates. And speaking of advertising, I'm super grateful for our sponsors this episode. First up, NZ Hops. In a little country far down the Pacific, you'll find a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. This is NZ Hops. The industry originated in 1843, not long after the early settlers arrived from England. Years of partnership with a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through generations sees the current-day master growers proudly providing 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or you can find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd. 
This episode is also sponsored by Athletic Brewing. At Athletic Brewing Company, their innovative process allows them to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to gold nails and more, they offer a full selection of beers starting at only 50 calories. And now you can keep your head clear and enjoy the refreshing taste of beer anytime, anywhere. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. And if you like this show, consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. Don't forget Steal This Beer every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast on the 15th of every month. Nate Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm back again to drink beer and to think beer.